Well, we are now officially into the Easter season. And uh, last, last Wednesday started it with what was uh, Ash Wednesday. And Ash Wednesday, as we, we gather together as a community, is that Ash Wednesday really is, is to, to, to mourn our sin and to grieve our sin. And if you look at like Easter as a whole, it starts with Ash Wednesday. And, and it's really this idea that we, we grieve our own sin. and We don't do that well. And so we gathered last Wednesday to do that. And then as it goes through, we celebrate Lent. And the idea of Lent is that you, you give something up as a reminder, that you would daily reminder that Christ has given his life up for you. And so whatever that would be for you, I would encourage you to do something, to give something up for the Lent season, to go all the way through, through Easter Sunday. That something that daily will remind you is like, I'm not partaking of this, I'm not doing this because, or I'm, I'm going to stop doing this because Christ did this for me. He gave up his life for me. Something that's a daily reminder for you. And then that leads us up to the Good Friday. And Good Friday, so if Ash Wednesday is where we mourn our own sin, Good Friday is the day in which we mourn the death of Jesus. That he actually, our sin was then conquered and, and taken on with his death. And then Easter Sunday, which is then the resurrection. And Easter Sunday is the celebration. It's the big celebration. But there is so much, we would say, there's so much that leads up to this. And as we lead up to this, one of the things that we're going to be doing as a community as the Sundays go up to it is that we're going to be looking at these statements that are said by Jesus. And maybe you've even heard them before. Places where he will say, truly, truly, I say to you. Truly, truly, I say to you. And so actually what we're going to be doing leading up to Easter is we're just going to be looking at these places in which uh, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you. It's interesting because Truly, the word that's used for truly is the same word in Greek as it is in Hebrew. Now, some of you may or may not know this, but the, the New Testament was written in Greek, mostly Greek, and the Old Testament, mostly, uh, mostly Hebrew. And actually, the word truly is the same word in both the Greek and the Hebrew. And you're going to find out that you knew a little bit of Greek and a little bit of Hebrew this morning. The word is, uh, it's amen. Amen is the same in the Hebrew. And the same as the Greek. And amen, amen really is, is, is you had heard maybe at the end of a prayer. So we maybe even pray and then everybody said amen. Or, or if somebody prays and to let you know that the prayer is now over, amen. And really the idea of amen is just so be it, you know, so be it um, true. And so when Jesus says, by the way, Jesus is the only one. who So we'll see the word amen all over the place. Typically said sometimes at the end of a prayer. But actually, Jesus kicks off his statements by saying, it's literally, in, in both the Greek, well, in the Greek, because it's the only place we're going to see it, but um, is he says it, amen, amen. And he's actually the only person that uses it together like this, and he only does it in the book of John. So we'll be spending our times just in the gospel of John and just looking at the times in which he says to this idea, uh, amen, amen. So be it, so be it. True, true. And really the way, the reason why he does it for the most part is the same reason why we would say the same word twice, which is we want it, we want to emphasize it, right? It's, it's more than this, it's this, you know? So somebody may say something like, I don't know, do you, do you like them or do you like them like them? <laughs> because if you just like them, that's one thing, but do you like them like them? Like, 
no, I think I like a like them, you know. And what it's really saying is that it's it's more than like, but not quite love, right? So we're not we haven't achieved the love status, but but we have achieved more than just the like status. I I, you know, I like them, like them. Maybe I like them, like them, like them, like them, like them, you know. And so we we want to elevate that to say that it's more than just this. Or probably even more accurate would be when somebody says, um, they'll say, is that true, really? And you'll say, really, really. Is that true? Really? Really, really. Which what you're saying is like, yeah, I, I'm actually, I'm not messing with you. This is, this is very true. And so we see these places where Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, only found in the book of John, only out of the words of Jesus. So it's only when he's saying it. And he's going to say that in the beginning of a statement, not at the end of a prayer. He's going to say that at the beginning of a statement to say, this is what I want you to know. The first one we're going to find this morning in the book of John, chapter 1. And before we get to it, I want just to send a little bit of context. Because if you read the book of John, and this is actually what I want you to do this, this as we lead up to Easter. Uh, if you read one chapter of John a day leading up to Easter, that'll do two things. One, it'll, it'll have you read through the book of John twice before Easter. The other thing that it will do is it will prepare you for Easter. I mean, what, what a wonderful way to spend just your time reading through one of the Gospels twice. And it's also then going to prepare you for what we're, cause we're just going to be in the book of John. So we're not going to cover all of the book of John, but we're going to spend all of our time in the book of John. And so I'd encourage you to read one chapter of the book of John a day leading up to Easter. And, and what you're going to see is, even as we jump in, is that, is that in the book of John, when it opens up, um, you see that they, they, they were waiting for a Messiah. And you look back at the Old Testament. The Old Testament was all of this prophecy that there's this one to come. There's somebody coming. And there's one to come. And when he comes, he's going to restore Israel. When he comes, he's going to be the king of Israel. And when he comes, he's going to establish a new relationship between God and man. And so, so much they were waiting for the Messiah to come, the Christ. And by the way, Messiah and Christ, they're the same word. They, 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 I'm going to teach another Greek and Hebrew word here. Uh, is that they're the same word. They mean the same thing. It means anointed. Messiah is Hebrew for anointed. Christ or Christos is, is Greek for anointed. And so when we're saying Jesus the Messiah or Jesus Christ, we're saying the same thing. Jesus the anointed one. So they knew this anointed one was going to come. And he was going to restore Israel. He was going to be the king forever. With the king comes, guess what? The kingdom. And he's going to establish this new relationship between God and man and so, so long, so long, some of these prophecies 700 years prior to Jesus showing up, some of them 1,500 years before Jesus showed up, longing for the Messiah to come. So then John the Baptist, not John the author of the gospel, John the Baptist, John the Baptist comes and he's doing what John the Baptist does is he's baptizing people. And his message really is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so people are going out to them, out to him, and they're being baptized. And they actually ask him the question. You can even read this in John chapter 1. Are you the Messiah? Are you the one? Are you the anointed one, the one that we've been looking for? And John's response is, no, I'm not. I come before him, but there's one coming that I am not even 
I'm not even, you know, worthy to, to untie his sandals. I mean, the guy that's coming is just like, he's, he's up so far above and beyond me. And then Jesus shows up one day, and John says, Behold, the Lamb of God, who will take away the sins of the world. And so John basically is saying, this is the guy. This is the one I was telling you about. This is the Messiah. I'm not the Messiah, but this is the Messiah. And so when Jesus shows up, he gets baptized by John the Baptist. It's really the beginning of, John, of Jesus' ministry, his public ministry. And so once John baptizes him, we see that Jesus starts to go out and he starts, he starts getting disciples, which is what a teacher would do. He starts gathering disciples and he starts inviting people in to follow him. Some of those people early on are John's disciples. They were following. So I mean, think about this, just, just, just practically for a second. When John says, no, there's somebody greater coming than me. They're like, well, John, we're going to follow you. We want you to be the Messiah. I'm not the Messiah, but there's one coming that is the Messiah. You really want to follow him. And then the Messiah shows up. And then John's disciples, some of them start following Jesus. They leave John's ministry. In fact, actually, even there's a place where John's disciples that stay with John highlight that. They go, John, our ministry is shrinking and Jesus is growing. What should we do? Should we do like a free like iPad giveaway or like, you know, a vacation giveaway? What should we do to boost attendance? And he says, I have to, I have to become lesser so that he may become greater. And so this is kind of where we jump into the story this morning. Just in John chapter 1. You can read all that, by the way, in John chapter 1. Not, not the lesser and greater, but, but where, where, where they're starting, John's disciples are starting to follow uh, Jesus. So if you've got your Bibles... Turn with me to, to, to John chapter 1, and we're going to start uh, just here in, in verse 43. It says this, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and, all, and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And so the next day, Jesus decided to go to the Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. And Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus, wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. I love this because we see something very similar. If there is one way in which you would say, how did Jesus go get disciples? Was that he went to them and said what? Follow me. Follow me. There's something very, very powerful I mean, it's so, it's so, and even think about if, if I'm going to sum up Christianity at some level, is this idea that we just, as a disciple, the discipleship of Christianity is that we just, we just follow Jesus. It's, it's both very simple and very complex. It's both easy to understand it, sometimes very difficult to execute. But there's this idea at the base of Christianity we're discipleship, how we grow, how we mature, is we just follow Jesus. 
Now, this is beautiful because it means at the core of Christianity is this idea of relationship. And even as, 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 as the disciples, as they follow Jesus, and then Jesus you know, dies on the cross, raises from the grave, and then ascends to heaven, then those disciples go out and they start, people start following them. And they start growing in Christ. And then people start following them. Even Paul says, follow me as, as, as I follow Jesus. And so it's interesting. I love, I love Christianity because at the, at, the, at the end of the day, what it is, is it's about following Jesus and it's about following people who follow Jesus. This is how discipleship is. This is how a lot of you in this church have grown. You've grown because you decided to follow Jesus and then you decided to hang out with other people who were following Jesus. And they encouraged you. They challenged you. And you were forever changed because of that. At the basis of this whole thing, it's just this idea of, of follow Jesus. And I love here, if you look at this, look at, the, look at the proactiveness of Jesus. Verse 43, he decided to go to the Galilee. Verse 43, he found Philip. And then he invited Philip. Jesus decided to go to the Galilee. He found Philip. And then invited Philip. I mean, you notice how here it's not, it's not, and then Jesus was invited to the Galilee. Jesus was sought out after by Philip. Or even, even, even here, Jesus, Jesus wasn't stalking, Je- sorry, Philip wasn't stalking Jesus. And then Jesus is finally like, what are you doing? I'm just following you. Okay, great. I mean, everything that Jesus is doing is very proactive. He decides to go to the Galilee. He finds Philip. And then he invites Philip to come. And so then I think it's, it's interesting. Because then he finds Philip, says, follow me. And then Philip's first thing that he does is he goes to Nathaniel and says, what? We found Jesus. And I go, you found, I, wait. Who? Wait, who found who? Uh, yeah, we found Jesus. Like, oh, Philip, that may be your perspective. That does not seem to be John's perspective. And that doesn't seem to be Jesus's perspective. <laughs> you see what's happening here? Jesus decided to go to the Galilee. Jesus found Philip. Jesus invited Philip. And then Philip goes to Daniel like, hey, so we found Jesus. Like, I, I mean, yes, I think that you, you do think that. But that's not what happened. Even when he says we found, we found him, he found him of what? By who? The one of who Moses and the prophet spoke of. In other words, there was prophecy by Moses, by the other prophets, says the Messiah is going to come. When he comes, here's how you will know that it's him. And they give these prophecies, not predicting the future, but this ways of like saying, here's how you'll identify him. Moses gave ways to identify him and, and, and other prophets gave ways, prophecies of the way to how you identify the Messiah. And so you think about what Philip, Philip is saying because we go, we believe that the, the words of Moses and the words of the prophets both came from where? From God. And so even, even he's saying, we found him. How did you find him, Philip? Well, because we took the things that God had already given us, the clues, and then we, we looked at those clues, and then Jesus found me. 
He decided to go to the Galilee. He found me. He invited me. And I took the clues that were already given to him, to me by him. And I said, this is the guy. And I go, yeah. You know, is it, is it possible? You know, we think about like, oh, people's spiritual journey. I want to find God. I want to find God. I want to find God. Is it possible that it's more important to be found by God than to find God? I mean, here, Philip is found by God. And right now in our culture, in our time, it's very popular to say, I'm, 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 I'm trying to find God. And I go, yeah, but the truth is, is you don't find God. God finds you first. I thought about playing, you know, the idea of playing hide-and-go-seek with a little child. Have you ever played hide-and-go-seek? They went, oh, let's play hide-and-go-seek. And you think to yourself, I'm going to crush you in hide-and-go-seek. In fact, if I never wanted you to find me, you never would. But you really, you think to yourself with this little child, I'm going to hide myself in a place in which they will probably find me. And an interesting thing, so maybe you, you hide in the room. And you're thinking, this is so obvious. <laughs> but you can hear them. You can even sometimes see them. And when you're playing hide-and-go-seek with a child, you know where they are long before they know where you are. And I, go, I think a lot of times our spiritual journey is, we're, is that way. We think we're looking for God. We're looking for him. And here's the thing. When the child finds you, they're elated. Like they got, like I, they got you. Like, yeah, you didn't think, I, but I got you. I found you. And you think to yourself, one, you only found me because I, I hid in a place where you could. And I knew where you were long before you knew where I was. And I think here, I love this. He says, he says we, we found him. We found him. I go, who found who? Jesus decided to go to the Galilee. Jesus found you, Philip. And, and, and he's the one that invited you. And the only reason you know it's him is because he did those things and gave you the clues in which to find him. We found him. And, and, and Nathaniel's not so sure. Verse 46. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. And so Nathaniel's a bit skeptical. Yeah, I don't know. Can anything good? I mean, you say he's from Nazareth. Now, it's interesting. We don't, we don't, you know, this is actually quoted. I've been to Nazareth. We've got great missionaries in Nazareth. So we know at least good things go to Nazareth. And Jesus has come from Nazareth. And so, so really, really, there's no indication that there was this idea that Nazareth was not a good place. But more that just Nazareth was a know-nothing place. It wasn't that it was infamous or even famous. It's just that it wasn't anything. It was just sort of a, as we would say probably in our terminology, it was just a podunk place. Like nothing comes out, like nothing comes out. And it's interesting where, where Nathaniel's probably from a, a, a we say a better place. He goes, I you know, from Nazareth to where that, that Sacramentans may say, can anything good come out of Stockton? No offense, Stockton. No offense, Stockton. But it's interesting, Stockton may say, can anything good come out of Modesto? 
Ah, yeah, it's true, huh? It's <laughs> now see, it's true. She's from Stockton. She knows it's true. Can anything good come out of Modesto? Amen. You know what Modesto says? Can anything good come out of Turlock? Amen. They say, "Man, see, and Modesto here, <laughs> Modesto. Can anything good out of Turlock? You know what Turlock says? Can anything good come out of Atwater? You know what Atwater says? Can anything good come out of Winton? You know, it, it, we see how this works. It just is like, can anything? And what they keep on doing is they keep on quoting less, less significant, what they, what they perceive to be less significant places. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's such an insignificant place. It's not that it's famous or infamous. It's just not, it's just no nothing. And, and one of the beautiful things about the gospel and about God's story is you've, you've noticed there's a theme. We don't have to wait here to get to the theme. There's this theme that God brings significance out of insig- seemingly insignificant things. I mean, you think about just the story of the Bible up until this point. Even in the calling of the disciples, God's ability to bring insignificant, or sorry, uh, significant things out of seemingly insignificant places. We see this with we see this with Moses, right? He's he's a shepherd. I mean, he was he was in the court at one point, but he's a shepherd, and God says that's going to be the leader of my people. We see this with David, right? You see this with David. God's like, I'm going to take David. He's he's the least likely of them all, and I'm going to make him the great king. We even see this with the people, the the, the people of Israel. Israel was an insignificant nation. And God says, that's, they're, they're the ones that are going to be my people. And so there's this theme of taking the, what are seemingly insignificant sources, insignificant places, insignificant people, and turning them into something significant by his power. It speaks of God's power to say, I'm going to, to tell my story, the, the greatest story ever, through seemingly insignificant means insignificant channels. Ah, that gives hope for me and you. Especially if you ever felt insignificant, right? God's like, actually, you're, you're my people. You're, you're, my, you're my canvas in which I paint my story. And so, she says, could anything good come out of Nazareth, right? And I, I love, I love Philip's response. I don't know, come and see. He doesn't argue him in, like, no, no, okay, all right, Nathaniel, I've got, I've got four reasons of why he's the Messiah. I've got six reasons of why he's the Messiah with Bible verses to boot, right? I could, I could quote all of them for you and say how he fulfills all of this, but that's not what he says. Let's come and see. I want you to experience the character of Jesus. I want you to experience Jesus himself. I want you to, to embrace his identity. Come and see. Philip is invited to follow Jesus. Then Nathaniel is invited to come and see Jesus. And so then look what happens. Verse 47. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite, indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree. I saw you. 
And so before I felt called to you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And so, so, so Philip goes to get Nathaniel, says, we found the Messiah. He goes, yeah, I don't think so. No, well, you should come and see. So Nathaniel's like, all right, I'll go and see. Then from a distance, Jesus sees Nathaniel coming and says, an Israelite indeed of whom there is no deceit. And I go, what a greeting by Jesus. Even in preparation of this, I thought, like, how, like, how would Jesus greet me? If he saw me from a distance, how would he greet you? I would submit to you that this is a really good greeting. And I know this, right? That Nathaniel's coming because he's skeptical of who Jesus is. And the first thing that Jesus says to Nathaniel is, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you who you are. You're an Israelite, indeed of whom there is no, no, no deceit. And I love Nathaniel's response. How'd you know? <laughs> right? How'd you know? Because like, he's like, there's no deceit in you. Like, mm, okay, so you know me. You know who I am. You know me. And I go, that is, that's some confidence by Nathaniel. He goes, yeah, you know me. An Israelite, there's no deceit. How'd you know me? Jesus' response before Philip came to you and called you, I saw you under the fig tree. Notice what's happening here. Remember, Philip goes to Nathaniel and says, we found the Messiah. You should come and you should see him that you will, I'm going to fill in some blanks here, that you will know him. We, we've, we found him. Come and see him that you would know him. And then the text is very clear that when, so, so Nathaniel goes, and Nathaniel says, I'm going to go see this Messiah, the one that they're saying is the Messiah. I'm going to go see him so that I may know him for myself. And what does Jesus do before anything really happens? He sees Nathaniel. And what does he say about Nathaniel? I know you. You see, Nathaniel thought that he was going to go see and know about Jesus, only to find out that he had already been seen and known by Jesus. Nathaniel went to go find out about the Messiah to realize that the Messiah has already found him out. You know, we think about, once again, our, our spiritual journeys. We think that, that, man, I need to find God and I would like to see God and be known by God. Or sorry, and, and to know God. And really what we see here, and it's very clear in Christianity, is actually, is that you're found by God, you're known by God, and you're seen by God. And even people on spiritual journeys, they go, it's, I want to see God and I want to know God. And I go, that's actually not the important thing. You may think it's the important thing, but it's not the important thing. The important thing is that you are seen and known by God. It's a crazy thing is that, you know, in, in my studies, in my, in my journey, in my, uh, in, my, in my discipleship process, I have learned all sorts of things about God. All sorts of things about God. I'm still learning all sorts of things about God. But do you know that God's never learned anything about me? 
I'm learning to see God in new ways, but God has, has seen me. Not only is it more important to be found by God than it is to find him, but it's more important to be seen by God and known by God than it is to see God and know God. You know, we live in the celebrity culture right now, right? This should not shock you. They're all over the place. You think about a celebrity, right? Think about your, your favorite celebrity. You don't have to confess it because that'd be embarrassing. But you think about your, your favorite celebrity, right? And you go, how much do you know about them? Truth is, is I could take your favorite celebrity, I could Google said favorite celebrity, and most likely what would come up about your celebrity is a, is a page, a Wikipedia page. And it would tell me all sorts of things. It would tell me their, probably their birth date. It would tell me their uh, marriage or marriages or, uh, or children. It would tell me their upbringing, how they came to start. If, if, they're, a, if they're a TV star or a movie star or a, an artist, it would give me a list of the things that they have done, the awards that they have won. If you wanted to, you could follow them on Twitter. You could even find probably, if you follow them long enough, you'd find and their favorite Starbucks drink is, you know, a grande camalacadacho, uh, you know, and, and you could find out all sorts of things. You could know everything. You could read the biographies of your favorite celebrities and know all sorts of things about them. But that's very different than being known by that celebrity. That if they were to see you, that they would call out your name. You see, anybody can find out about the celebrity. But it's different to be known by them. All sorts of people can find out about God. They can read about God. They can even think, I think he's good. I think he's a good God. And I think he's a powerful God. And they can know things about God, but it's much different and much more important than you would be known and seen by him. And so here he's like, as he's calling his disciples, these places where it's, it's, I, it's, it's, I have found you, I have seen you, and I know you. He goes, how'd you know me? I saw you under the fig tree before Philip even came to get you. Verse 49, Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, there it is. Truly, truly, I say to you, that you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And so... He says, I, how do you know me? Oh, man of no deceit. How do you know me? How did you know I was man of no deceit in Israelite? Oh, Nathaniel, I saw you. Before Philip ever said anything to you, I saw you. I saw you under that fig tree. And everybody wants, wants to know what was happening under that fig tree or what was that fig tree all about? And really, we don't know. But we, what we do know is that it was enough information that Jesus gave to, to Nathaniel to reveal this. Because his response is, oh, you're the, you're the son of God. 
you are you are with the, the, the king of Israel. The rabbi. And by the way, right? Jesus says, you're an Israelite. And then Nathaniel says, you're the king of Israel. To fill in the blanks here a little bit, what, what Nathaniel just said is what? You're my king. Because Jesus has said, you're, you're an Israelite. And then one of, one of Nathaniel's responses is, you're the king of Israel. And so here, this is a confession not only of his, of, his, of, his, of his son of God's status, but of his king of Israel's status. And by the way, king of Israel means that you're my king. To which then Jesus responds, Oh, Nathaniel, you say all of that because I say that I saw you under a fig tree? Oh, my friend, you're going to see greater things than these. Truly, truly, I say to you, right? Truly, truly, I say to you, you're going to see heaven opened up and you're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. By the way, Son of Man is Jesus' favorite like self-designation. It's used somehow like 80 times. The Son of Man in reference to Jesus and it's always Jesus referring to himself in the Gospels. Son of man. Son of man. And so he says, you're going you're gonna to see, the, you're gonna see the, the heavens opened up and you're going to see the angels descending and ascending, sorry, ascending and then descending uh, on the Son of Man. Now, if you were to flip through the book of John, and as you read through the book of John, one of the things that you'll notice about the, the heavens opening up and then the, uh, the ascending and descending, the angels of God ascending and descending, is that you're not going to find that explicitly anywhere. I mean, you could flip through all of these pages and you, you go through the book of John and never like, and this is the moment we were talking about, the moment in which Jesus said you're going to see the, the angels ascend and descend on the Son of Man. You wouldn't find it anywhere. You could flip actually through the epistles, through all of Paul's writings. You wouldn't find it there. You wouldn't even find, you know, maybe it's in Revelation. Like Maybe it's not, no, it's not even in Revelation. You'd actually, don't go forward, you have to go backward to figure out what Jesus is saying. Which Nathaniel would have known. If you've got your Bibles, uh, turn with me quickly to, to uh, Genesis 28. And here there is a dream that Jacob has. Verse 10 of 28. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set upon the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were what? They were ascending and descending on it. And by the way, I want you to notice that when it's here and both then with here and with Jesus, the, the angels are ascending and then descending, not what? 
descending and then ascending. They're not coming down from heaven and going back up. They're actually, it seems that they were, they were here and then they were going up and then back down. Verse 13, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I wish I am I, with you and will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from, from his sleep and said, and I love this, Surely the Lord is in this place. And what? I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. And so Jacob has this dream about the angels ascending and descending on this ladder. And, 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 and we say, as, as God is here, I didn't know it. How awesome is this place? God is here. And it seems to be that, 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 that Jacob is at the center of, of heavenly and earthly activity. It's this place where heaven and earth are coming together. The angels are going up and the angels are coming down on this ladder. This seems to be the spot. He Later on, he calls it uh, Bethel, the house of God. Like, is, there's the spot. And then Jesus, in, in, in uh, John chapter 1, what does he say? The angels of God are ascending and descending on what, the ladder? No, what does he say? The Son of Man, on himself. Jesus is the ladder. We go, yeah, yeah the center of where heaven and earth meet, the place where God is, the place you would go to meet God. He's saying now this is, and I love how he's in, is, a, is Nathaniel, the things, that, the things that, that, that Jacob dreamed about, the things that Jacob dreamed about, you're going to actually live out. And so he says, you're, what you're going to see and experience in the Son of Man is the place where, like the, the hub of heavenly activity, the place where heaven meets earth, and the place that gives you access to God the Father. And when we read the rest of the book of John, what do we see in the book of John? As we see it unfold, as you read it, what are you going to see? All of this heavenly activity. This place where heaven seems to meet earth. And a Jesus who, who through him, the Son, gives us access to the Father. And so he says, I, I found you. I know and see you and I call you to me. And when this thing is done, you're going to see heaven and earth come together in a hub of activity and you will have the access to the Father and, and you're going to experience the things that Jacob only dreamed of. As we approach Easter, this is the same thing that's true for us. And by the way, I love, I love opened 
because it wasn't that as open. Like the, the word, the verb in the Greek is that it's, it's opened and it stays open. It doesn't close back up. And, and it's through this Jesus, we too today have been found by him. We are known by him. And we are seen by him. And it's through him that we have access to the Father. And so I pray that as we approach Easter, we approach it with, with sort of this, this sort of gravitas. Um, yeah, and this, this sort of uh, security. And so when Jesus starts off his ministry, he goes, truly, truly, I say to you, truly, truly, I say to you, that I am, I am the place where heaven and earth meet, and I'm the one that gives you access to the Father. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you know us, you have known us, you see us, you found us long before we ever found you, saw you, or knew you. We thank you that you are the one that is active in the relationship long before we've ever turned to you. We thank you that even in our rebellion, you came and you found us. And Jesus, we thank you that you are, you are where heaven and earth come together. We thank you that you give us access to the Father. We thank you that you know us, that you see us, and that you have found us. We love you. We pray for these things in your name. Amen.